everybody. How's it going? I'm Kristen, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, let's see. My sobriety date is on or around. Thank you. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> uh, let's see. My sobriety date is around uh, August 18th, 2003. My home group is the St. Pete Beach Young People's Group. It meets at Alano on Friday nights at 8. Please come see us. We'd love to have you. Um, I do have a service position there. I'm the secretary. I'm not as fabulous as your secretary, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm working it. Um, no, really, he does a great job. Um, let's see. And I have a sponsor, and I sponsor others. And uh, I'm just really blessed to be here tonight. So thank you, Mike, for having me. Um, what I'm going to try and do is do what we all do, um, talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, let's see. I'm not originally from Florida. I'm actually from Connecticut. Um, I moved down here about eight years ago to transfer colleges. It's a miracle I actually made it to college, but that's later on in the story. Um, let's see. You know, I, I came from a really blessed family. I mean, I never really um, had a need for anything. Um, but there was something different um, about me when, when I looked at other people. When I looked at other kids or teenagers my age, they seemed to all have it together. They seemed to know how to function in life, and I didn't. Um, I just didn't get it. And one day, um, I was at a party, and my first, the first drink I can remember, you know, my parents were actually um, functioning alcoholics, and uh, what I think they were functioning alcoholics. And um, so I, I vowed off alcohol. You know, I'm not going to drink. I'm not ever going to act like them. I'm, I'm not ever going to be like them. But sure enough, freshman year in high school, you know, I'm at this really hot, popular senior year guy's house at a party. You know, everyone you wanted to know was there. And I proceed to have my first drink, which was a keg cup with 99% vodka and just a dash of orange juice. <laughs> you know, nothing like going to extremes on your first time. And um, so naturally, after I don't even know how much of that I drank, the last thing I remember is throwing up all over the front lawn in front of my whole high school, uh, which is just a tidbit of the years to come. Um, so, so that was my first experience with alcohol, and one would think that I wouldn't want to drink again after a humiliating, sickening experience like that, coupled with my family being um, in, in alcoholics. Um, but sure enough, you know, a month or so later, I was drinking again. Um, drinking started off as it does for, for a lot of high school kids, um, I think, um, where it was just a weekend thing, you know, every maybe once a weekend a month, we'd, we'd all drink, you know, somehow. And, and it really wasn't that big of a deal. It was fun. Um, but then the weekends started to get more frequent than I would drink, and they would get longer. Um, it wouldn't just be Friday and Saturday. It would be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then it would be during the day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Sunday, you know. Um, at this point, uh, I also started to experiment with drugs, which I know this is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. We don't like to talk about that, so I won't. Um, but um, it is part of my story. I'll touch on it later. Don't worry. Um, but anyway, so I started drinking on weekends, and, and it progressively got more frequent. Um, and not only did it get more frequent, but I started blacking out. Um, I am a total blackout drinker. Um, if I were to drink today, I, I would blackout just like that. Um, every time I started to drink after a certain point um, in my drinking career as a teenager, I would blackout every single time. Um, it got to the point where all I wanted to do was party. Um, I had a real void in, in myself um, for some reason. I, you know, l let me just start off by saying I don't really know anything about alcoholism. I just don't. I'm not a doctor. 
You know, I have no certifications, no degrees. I don't know. I just know my experience. And what I'm about to tell you is just my personal experience with the disease of alcoholism. Again, I don't even know if it's a disease. Honestly, I don't care, you know. I just know that whatever it is, I've got it big time. Um, because, as I'm about to explain to you, what happened. Um, so... So as I'm drinking, things started to happen. You know, I would black out, and I would wake up, and I'd call my girlfriends, and I'd say, hey, what's going on? You know, how you doing? They'd be like, I can't believe you have the nerve to call me right now. And I'd be like, what are you talking about, man? You know, and they'd say, do you know, you know, do you know that you hit on my boyfriend last night? Or do you know that you took my car without me knowing and, you know, got into a car accident? Do you know, you know, just all these terrible things. I would tell my best friends off, you know, you spoiled me, blah, blah, blah. I would say these terrible things to people I love. Um, and, and that just wasn't like me. Sober, I would never do that. I may have thought these things, you know. But, <laughs> but... <laughs> But, but so sober, you know, I would never, ever, ever have done some of these things. And, um, you know, I, I noticed that when I would go out to drink, um, I, would, I would say to myself, after bad things start happening, I'm like, all right, Kristen, you know, you got to get this together. You know, you got you to drink like normal people. So I, so I would have a couple drinks, and I would try to control my drinking. Yet every single time I drank, I drank to excess, and I blacked out no matter what I tried to do. Like they talk about and more about alcoholism, you know, beer only, only at the party, only at home, you know, only a certain amount of drinks. Whatever I tried, it never worked. Um, so I'm a teenager, you know, my disease is progressing nicely. Um, at this point, I'm skipping school. I have a real problem with authority to this day. Um, thank, thank God for the 12 steps because I, I actually show up for work today. But if it wasn't for the 12 steps, I would not be working, let me tell you. I cannot stand anyone that tries to tell me what to do, period. Um, parents, boyfriends, teachers, employers, you name it, gotta go, okay? Um, but anyway, my point of that is, 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 <laughs> my point of that is to say that, um, you know, I didn't do well with school. For some reason, I didn't understand why I had to go. Um, you know, I'm from a good family. I mean, you're expected to go to college and graduate high school. Um, and, you know, I just, um, I wanted to party. I woke up every morning and the thought of life terrified me. Um, I woke up with complete and overwhelming despair and anxiety. I didn't know how to face the day. Every day at, at 15, 16, 17, I couldn't breathe. I had so much anxiety and fear. Um, I was filled with self-pity and, and just self-loathing. And, and I don't know where this stuff came from, guys. You know, I don't, I don't know. I just know it was there. And alcohol seemed to remove it. Um, alcohol was the only thing that would take away all of that pain and all of that insecurity and fear and transform me like a butterfly into this fabulous, beautiful, you know, well-spoken, funny um, woman that I could never be, you know, without alcohol. I mean, it was just amazing um, how I thought on the inside. Granted, you know, I'm blacking out, tripping all, I wake up with bruises all over me. God only knows who you are in the bed next to me, you know. I mean, on and on. <laughs> or, or, or where I am, for that matter, you know, on and on. Um, but in my head while I'm drinking, I'm fabulous, you know. So, so, so that's alcohol. But, um, um, so what else? So I'm drinking, and uh, I end up uh, getting kicked out of my house because I'm not going to school. I'm, I'm doing whatever I want. I don't call. You know, I don't, I don't do anything I'm supposed to. Um, and uh, I move in with my girlfriends, and I decide I don't need high school. I'm going to work. You know, so naturally I go to work for my mother, you know, because <laughs> I'm totally unemployable. Who's going to hire me, you know, at 15 or 16, however old I was? And um, I realized after having a couple months of just partying and working that I couldn't stop drinking. 
Um, I just couldn't stop. I didn't understand how the girl I was living with um, and her family would get up every day and they'd go to school and they'd do the things they needed to do, whether it was a job, um, you know, uh, sports, homework, you know, whatever it was, they seemed to do it. When I woke up, I wanted to party. I wanted to get out of my head and stop feeling this pain and get down to partying. And I couldn't stop. Um, every day I'd wake up and say, this time it's going to be different. You know, this time I'm going to go to my job, I'm going to save my money, and I'm going to enroll back in school, and I'm going to, you know, make amends to my parents, and everything's going to work out great. And every day by the afternoon, I'd be partying. I'd be drinking. I'd be doing whatever every single day. Um, and, and that's just the way it was. And, and it was like that for a couple months. And progressively, uh, my friends were very concerned. They didn't really want to hang out with me anymore. You know, when you tell them off and steal their boyfriends, I mean, who could blame them, you know? But, um, so I ended up calling my father. At some point, I got a call. My parents are divorced. Um, and I got a call from my estranged dad that, uh, or no, rather from his treatment center, that he was an alcoholic. And would I please come to Rhode Island for, uh, you know, family therapy for alcoholism? And I said, what? You know, I didn't even know what alcoholism was. I didn't even know my dad was an alcoholic. But um, so that kind of introduced me to the disease of alcoholism. And after a couple months of, of being on my own, quote, unquote, um, I decided to give old Pops a call on it because I couldn't stop drinking. And I knew he went to AA, whatever that was. And so at 15, I said, Dad, you know, will you take me to a meeting? My life's all messed up. You know, part, part of it was manipulation, probably to get him to send me money. You know, let's, let's be honest. But um, he ended up picking me, up, picking me up to go to an AA meeting. And I remember before I went to the meeting, I slammed three beers, you know, because um, I just couldn't do it. I, I don't have willpower. I don't have strength. I'm just filled with self-pity and fear, you know, so, um, and the alcohol gave me some courage to show up and go. So we go, and it's a little inner city, you know, and um, I'm 15 from the suburbs, you know, <laughs> this little ignorant girl, and um, I walk into this inner city AA meeting, and I, I immediately identified myself out the door. I said, you know, I don't look like you. I'm too young. I don't have a wife or a husband that I lost. I haven't lost a job. I haven't lost my house. Meanwhile, I'm actually living in my girlfriend's house because I did get kicked out of my home. But, you know, I haven't lost my house. And, um, you know, my life isn't that bad. I can't be an alcoholic. I'm not under the bridge with, um, you know, a uh, paper bag and a bottle. That's what I envisioned an alcoholic. Um, I tried, I, you know, I, I tried again to get my life back together. And I moved back in with my mom, and I signed up for high school again. And, you know, I'm going back to school, and, and I'm doing the, the maintenance thing. You know, I'm, I'm doing some marijuana maintenance. I'm doing some uh, beer only, you know, and only on the weekends maintenance, whatever I can do to just get by. Um, I ended up going to um, Mexico with my uh, dad and my stepmother and my stepbrother and have um, a huge, huge bottom. Um, Actually, we both did. My stepbrother is um, also an alcoholic, and um, I'll get into to him in, in, a, in a minute. But um, I end up just, you know, coming out of a black... I, my girlfriend tells me I need to tell you these stories, so here, here we go. Um, I end up coming out of a blackout, you know, skinny dipping in this pool um, in this five-star resort um, in Mexico, and uh, after a night of going home with who knows what, doing only... God only knows up my nose, you know. And... Um, <laughs> 
and, and this is what I did. You know, I traveled a lot. I was really blessed with traveling. And I would go to these different countries, and I would do drugs, and I would drink t- till I blacked out, and I would do all of these unbelievably dangerous things that I would never do sober. And I pray for all the girls out there that experience these same things. The poor girl from Atlanta, you know, that, that never made it home from whatever vacation she went on. That could have been me, you know. And, um, and the reason why I tell you about that is just because it's unbelievable to me the things I used to do when I was drinking that I would never ever do today. Um, and it's only by the grace of God in this program that I'm standing before you today. But uh, anyway, um, I come out of this blackout, and I lost my stepbrother who spoke fluent Spanish. And uh, so I have to get myself home from wherever the hell I am um, and put my clothes on, first of all. And, you know, I've got the whole breakfast brunch of this hotel staring at me, mind you, in the pool. Okay? Okay? And, and I'm just, you know, swimming. I'm like, what, what are they looking at? And I come to, and I'm like, oh, shit, you know? Um, <laughs> And I can't find my stepbrother. I can only see his shoes. That's the only thing I saw were his shoes. And I'm like, oh, crap. So, so somehow I get myself home. And um, about eight hours later, he comes in the door in a complete alcoholic rage. I don't know if anybody's seen an alcoholic rage sober, but it is the scariest stuff I've ever seen. Seriously, I've never seen anything like it to this day. Um, he was just totally a different person. It was almost like he was possessed. Um, and he came in, and <laughs> uh, my stepmother at the time kind of threw him down and slammed volumes in his mouth. I know, a real healthy family. Um, and, you know, Kristen, Kristen from the suburbs of Connecticut had never seen anything like this before, okay? Um, so it was a little much, to say the least. What ended up happening is he went home early. I also went home early and attempted to check myself into rehab because I said, self, you know, this is too much. There's no way this is normal. You can't stop drinking. You were just buck naked in Mexico, you know, doing God knows what, coming out of a blackout. Your stepfather's crazy. His mother's crazy. You know, (laughs) like what is your life is totally unmanageable. You need help. So I don't know if anybody's tried to get into a rehab at Christmas time, but let me tell you, it's not easy. Okay. So (laughs) it's tough, seriously. Um, So what I ended up going into was the step before juvenile detention, which is fun um, because, you know, I was in this detention center, really, um, trying to detox from alcoholism, from alcohol, rather, and uh, with a bunch of Latin kinks, um, which was kind of cool, you know. But um, it it was tough for me to, um, you know, really utilize the rehab portion of it. But uh, anyway, I ended up going to AA. I got a sponsor. I worked um, the first three steps, and then I became complacent. I didn't go to meetings. I said, I don't need this. I can still smoke weed. I'm only 19 at this point, um, or 18, rather. And um, I don't need AA. You know, I'm too young. I'm not even 21 yet. I may be an alcoholic, but I can still party. You know, I can still do other things. I just won't drink. Um, Well, needless to say, it lasted about two weeks that I didn't drink. And on a, resent, on a resentment, I signed, I got caught smoking weed at rehab, and they told, they told me I had to go, you know. So on a resentment, I left, I signed myself out, you know. And, um, and um, two weeks later, I started drinking, and a week after that, I hit a tree with my little Hyundai Excel, very small car, tree, very big and hard. So, um, not good. Um, what the most interesting part, and the reason why I'm telling you the succession of all this, is to, to show the progression of alcoholism. Um, you know, I, I thought I could do it. I thought I was okay. And what I didn't realize, and what I soon learned after that, was that my disease was still growing. It was doing push-ups even when I wasn't drinking. 
You know, it was still gaining speed even though I was abstinent from all substances. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's the way it went. I thought maybe when I picked up alcohol again, then it would start, you know, progressively getting worse. No, 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 no. It's worse. It gets worse all the time whether I'm drinking or not. Okay? So I end up hitting this tree, and the weird thing was I wasn't even drunk. I had like six beers. And for anyone that's an alcoholic in this room, we all know what's six beers. You know, who give, you know what is that? Nothing. Um, you know, that's like, you know, before you go out. But, um, but, but the point, my point in saying that, my point in saying that is that um, one of the things that someone told me early on was that, you know, sometimes, or rather, every time I drink, bad things happen. And it doesn't matter how much I drink or what I drink, every time, it gets to a point in my disease where every time I drink, bad things happen, and that's what happened. I didn't have to be drunk to hit that tree. It's just the progression of my disease. It just always gets worse whether I'm drinking or not, and it was just building up steam when I was in rehab that three months. Long story short, I hit the tree. I, I actually um, died a couple times on the table that night. I uh, broke all the bones in my face. Go Hartford plastic surgeons. Um, I broke all the bones in my face. I, I severed a third of my liver. Um, you know, I busted my knee. I busted my femur out of my hip. All kinds of bad stuff. Spleen, you name it. Punctured lung, blah, blah, blah. All kinds of bad stuff. I was hospital. I was actually in a coma for 10 days. Um, and, and then I finally came to, and they put me back together, and I had to learn how to walk again. And, you know, meanwhile, I've got the 12 and 12 over here, because remember, I just got out of rehab, right? So I'm kind of familiar with AA stuff. I've got the 12, 12. I'm like, God, you're so right. You know, I, I know I can't win with alcohol. I'm done. I'm done forever. And my friends call me on the other line, you know, hey, I'm going to bring you some pop brownies. Okay, you know. Um, so, so and that's, and that's what happened. That's what I did. I, just like when I got out of rehab, you know, I said, well, I know I'm an alcoholic. Okay, that means I can't drink alcohol. That doesn't mean I can't do other things, you know. So I proceeded to be on what they call in Alcoholics Anonymous the marijuana maintenance plan, and I did that for several years. Um, I actually ended up getting my GED, and I uh, never graduated from high school, but I did get my GED, and I went to college in Vermont, beautiful state. And um, I remember celebrating my 21st birthday in Vermont. And um, it was interesting because... The whole, I'm, I'm an October baby, so uh, my birthday's in October. And the whole summer preceding the 21st birthday was complete and utter insanity. Let me tell you, untreated alcoholism is no joke. My head was off the chain. Seriously, it was just out of control. How are you, how are you going to not drink on your 21st birthday? What are you going to do? How are you going to go to bars? How are you not going to go to bars? What do you mean you can't drink on your 21st birthday? What are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? You know. <laughs> and, and I mean, this thing has been going on for months, okay? Finally, it's like September, and I'm ready to just explode. Oh, oh, and I started college. So I'm living in a room, a roommate in a dorm, with my girlfriend roommate who is, um, you know, drinking every night, like 12-pack upon 12-pack. I open my fridge, 12-pack shakes, you know, the bottle shake. I close, you know, I go outside, I stumble over beer cans. I'm just like, oh, God, help me, you know. So finally, I don't know how, but somehow the thought came into my mind to go to AA. So I go to AA uh, right before my 21st birthday in Vermont, and I start going to the noon meetings every day. I'm still smoking pot, okay? I'm not telling anybody, okay? So um, I, I go to, and I get a sponsor, and I, I try to work the program as best as I can, but I'm still smoking pot. And again, the reason why I'm talking about this is because A, it's my experience, and B, I hear lots of people do this, so just a heads up, it don't work. <laughs> I tried. Um, <laughs> That, that's where I'm going, if you're wondering, if you want to zone out from here out. Um, so, 
So, you know, what, what happened was I worked steps with the sponsor. I never got honest with her, but I worked steps with her. And, and I got to my fourth step, and I don't know if it was her or me or the, the pot or whatever it was. I think, I think I actually ended up stopped, I stopped smoking weed, but I got to the fourth step. And one of the things I, that I didn't see in the fourth step, one of the things, was everything but the columns. Okay, so so I write out the columns, you know, I'm resentful at, hurts, affects my, the cause, whatever. Um, but I didn't see the following pages that said, you know, sex inventory, what was your part, where were you frightened, self-centered, um, selfish, you know. Um, um, when, when looking at, you know, your relationships with others, where were you manipulative, did you cause jealousy, did you start it? Those are the things that I never saw in my first fourth step. And because I didn't do a thorough fourth step, I went on to do five, six, seven, okay, which was great. My first fifth step was absolutely fabulous. I felt elated. You know, I, I felt like God had just blessed me. You know, it was great. But, um, and, and, and I'll get back to when I actually did my fourth step this time, the difference. Um, but, I, you know, after that, I, I kind of lost. I moved out of Vermont. I moved to Massachusetts, and I, I got kind of complacent. I didn't really need meetings. You know, I had already worked to seven. Who needs nine, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you know? Or, or AA, for that matter, you know? Um, and what I ended up doing, this is a funny story, I'm at the Gathering of the Vibes, which is like a Grateful Dead concert in Connecticut. And um, I'm walking around, and I'm sober, quote, unquote. I'm actually not doing any drugs or anything, alcohol, anything. And I'm walking around, and, and I'm standing at the sober tent, and um, some guy walks by with pot food, you know, goo balls, which is oatmeal and stuff in a ball with, with pot in it. And, and my diseased mind says, Kristen, if you eat the pot, you're not smoking it. Okay. It's hilarious, you know, but totally made perfect sense to me at the time. This is the diseased mind, the cunning, baffling, and powerful that the big book talks about. The shit that I will believe, you know, which makes absolutely no rational sense. But for some reason, it made perfect sense that day, and I ate the thing. And um, so there goes my sobriety again. Um, I don't end up drinking this whole time because I am so terrified of what alcohol has done to me. Um, I mean, you got to understand, I had so many reconstructive surgeries on my face. It was, it was a nightmare. Like, it really scared the daylights out of me. Um, but that didn't mean that the other things scared me, you know. Um, but, but anyway, um, so I didn't end up drinking again, but I did end up doing other things. And those other things, um, specifically marijuana, brought me to my knees. Again, just like alcoholism, the same stuff. Nothing changed. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. And I can be a dry drunk. Um, you know, I, I ended up moving down here, um, transferring schools, and um, I finished up my, my education. And um, I graduated college, and I said, and I, and I graduated by manipulation and deceit, mind you. I, I don't think I read one book the entire time. And, um, <clears throat> and I graduated, and I said, okay, now what? You know, I'm so paranoid from all the stuff or whatever um, and all the insecurities. I I'm not employable. I can't get a job. I can't, you know, think or speak or, or, or I could never have spoken in front of all of you guys. I mean, it was just, I was a nightmare. I was in my, my apartment down on the south side with the blinds closed, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know. And, and I was straight, okay. Um, untreated alcoholism is no joke for me. Um, for me personally, I can't live without this program. I am just absolutely crazy. 
Um, I got on my knees, I think, at that point. I was totally desperate. Um, I, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I was totally clean, and I was more insane than I have ever been. At least with alcohol, um, you know, you could numb the head. You could numb the feelings. You know, you could shut up the crazies for a little while. Totally straight, it's crazy all the time, okay? So what I ended up doing, I get on my knees, and I'm like, God, please help me, you know, and I'm crying. And uh, the thought comes into my head, why don't you try AA? And I said, no, you know, I'm not trying AA. And, the, and my head goes, or the voice in my head anyway, goes, um, why don't you just give it a shot? What do you got to lose? You're about to jump off the Skyway, okay? AA or the Skyway? Take your pick. I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> and a terrible coward when it comes to actual suicide. Um, so what do I do? I go down to Blind Pass to their noon meeting, and um, some lady hugs me and is all weird to me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, God help me. But I felt better. You know, after the end of that hour, I felt a little bit better. The head chilled out. You know, it stopped going crazy. One thing before I get into, before I get into my sobriety, um, what I wanted to mention was that this disease is no joke. Um, it kills. You know, that's, that's the end result with, with alcoholism. Um, my stepbrother, um, he it was an alcoholic. We would actually go to AA meetings together, and, and he didn't really work the program at all. I didn't either at the time. And, um, you know... <laughs> Alcoholic deaths aren't necessarily recorded in the morner or the coroner's reports as alcoholic deaths. You know, uh, maybe cirrhosis of the liver, maybe. But um, my stepbrother died as a result of this disease, and his death report was suicide. What happened was um, he went over a friend's house. I think the grandfather had asked him to um, talk to his grandson, who he'd gone to high school with, uh, about AA. And, and my stepbrother step was like, okay, you know, I'm kind of drinking, but I know about AA, so I'll go talk to him. And so <clears throat> they went over there, and they had a party, and they all got shwilly drunk. And <clears throat> um, somehow, when most of the people at the party are passed out, like 3 o'clock in the morning, a gun comes out. Um, the, the kid that he had gone there to help, supposedly, um, brings out a gun, and nobody knows what happens next, except my stepbrother's dead on the floor. Um, and, and that's the reality of alcoholism. He was 23. It was right before September 11th. It was actually, de it was totally devastating. Um, absolutely devastating. And, and that's, that's alcoholism. You know, I've, I've had friends um, get decapitated going on ice roads in Vermont driving um, drunk, you know. Um, it's just no joke. Um, I, I died that night, and but only by the grace of God, and, and I have no idea why am I standing here today. Um, that's the end result, if I'm lucky. You know, today, if I go out and drink, I have no doubt in my mind that I will, God help me, kill someone and stay alive to suffer, you know, because <laughs> I've already died and I came back and, like, I, I, that would probably be what would happen because that's the worst thing I could ever imagine. Um, and I'm terrified, terrified to drink again because my disease is so progressive it's not funny. But um, <laughs> on a lighter note, um, back to sobriety. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, so I got a blind pass. The one thing I noticed was that um, my head quieted down. The, the crazy train, the squirrel cage, just chilled out a little. And, and that was great. You know, I, let me tell you one thing about me is I'm addicted to feeling good. I will do whatever feels good. Shopping, dating, eating, you know, AA. Um, AA is what makes me feel good. Um, I'm not a go-getter. I don't like to do things. I'm lazy. Okay, um, I procrastinate. I, I'm selfish to the core. I think about no one but me most of the time, which I'm not proud of. It's just the way my brain is. 
Um, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I realized that it sucks. But, um, but how I combat that is by going to AA. So, so what I started doing was I started going to meetings, and I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I went to the young people's group, my home group, and I was totally freaked out. There were so many young people, and it was wall-to-wall, standing room only, and I just couldn't take it. I couldn't breathe. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was out. Um, but I ended up actually going to the noon meeting there and meeting some young people, um, and, and they were real cool to me. And, and I feel that God blesses us, or blesses me anyway, with the right people at the right time. And, and he, he just happened to bless me with two of my best friends um, that I love and cherish to this day, and, and I'm eternally grateful to have them in my life. But um, I ended up, uh, my grandmother actually passed away, and, and I went up in my like, first three months of sobriety, and I went up to Connecticut, and all I had with me was the big book. And let me tell you, I have never read a book in my life. Like I have, but, you know, the beginning, the end, maybe a Mary Higgins Clark, you know, nothing, nothing of substance, okay? Pardon me. I'm sorry, Mary. But um, <laughs> so and let me tell you, by the grace of God, I read that big book cover to cover on that trip. The whole thing, the preface and the pre-whatever, you know, and then the appendices and the end and you name it. I read that thing the whole way through, and that was a miracle for someone like me. Because before AA, I could never, ever, ever read a book from cover to cover, unless it was like a High Times, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a program of honesty, right? Um, But but anyway... I just mentioned that because there's little miracles today. Um, you know, when I came to this program, I didn't believe in a higher power. Um, through my in and out from AA and my, and my education, I ended up possibly thinking because I survived that car accident, maybe there's a power greater than myself. And let's just call him Jerry Garcia because we can. So um, we, we evolved, though. We evolved from Jerry to nature, um, which really worked for me and, and still works to this day um, as, as an example of, of a higher power um, of his work. Um, but, you know, I was raised Catholic. I mean, nobody reads the Bible, you know, where I'm from. We just show up for church and pretend and then, you know, go home and be our alcoholic selves, you know, <laughs> and, and, and scream at our kids and, you know, whatever we want to do. And um, so naturally, you know, I saw a lot of hip- hypocrisy and I just wasn't into it. I, didn't, I wasn't into religion. I wasn't into God. I didn't believe it because I saw what everybody did when they went home from church, you know, the, the exact opposite of what they were preaching. Um, so, so I wasn't into that. But people told me when I first came to AA, they said, you know what? They said, fake it till you make it. Just try. Just get on your knees in the morning, ask a higher power that you don't even believe him. Call him whatever you want. Call him Jerry. Call him the moon, you know, whatever. Doorknob. I mean, I wasn't into doorknobs, but um, <laughs> some people, you know, whatever. Um, but just do it. Get on your knees and try it. What have you got to lose? And then at night, thank that higher power for keeping you sober. And I did that. And I didn't do it because I'm a good person or because I like to. I did it probably just to spite AA and prove them wrong, to be honest. Um, but the weird thing was is that it worked. Uh, I kept coming back to meetings. I was unemployed at the time when I first came to AA. And um, I kept coming back. I started going more than once a day because I noticed that, like I said before, that the crazy train in my head would stop. It would slow down, and I would feel some peace for the first time in my life. So I kept coming back. Anything that makes me feel good, I'm on it. People suggested to me to get a sponsor. I'm like, yeah, right, okay. You know, so I started looking for who would be fabulous enough to be my sponsor. And, um, <laughs> and naturally, I went without a sponsor for quite some time. Um, <laughs> Because I really wasn't looking for a sponsor, you know. I mean, I didn't want one. I was just irritated that everybody kept asking me, who's your sponsor? Do you have a white chip? Do you have a chip? Where's your sponsor? Where's your home group? I was just like, dude, leave me alone. 
But um, eventually, I was in enough pain, thanks to dating in my first year. Uh, you know, you know, people in AA they say, you know, don't date in your first year; it's really bad. They're right. Um, but, but honestly, and this is my experience. Here you go, newcomers. This is your out. Um, you know, it it gave it put me in enough pain to take action. So I'm not con- I'm not saying it's a good idea, but for me personally, it got me to work the steps. So um, whatever. You know, there you go, new- newbies. Talk to your sponsor about that. Um, so what I ended up doing was um, I saw this woman who. When she spoke, you know, she, she had, first of all, she had double-digit year sobriety, okay? I knew from my previous experiences in AA that I didn't want someone that was going to be a contemporary. I didn't want to be giving my fifth step to someone that was going to be telling my friends, or even in the same age range, you know? I wanted someone with actual sobriety and experience. Um, so I, I found my sponsor. I heard her speak, and I think at Blind Pass one night. And um, when she spoke, she sounded positive. She gave hope. Um, she, she sounded intelligent. She had experience. Um, it, it just really spoke to me. Whatever she said, it, I just really thought, wow, you know, she's got it together. She, she's independent. She, um, she's been sober for a while. She, she uh, worked, you know, her whole life. She, she's just got it together. One of the best things I've ever heard her say is just this. Um, you know, my higher power only has three answers for me, and that's yes, later, or I have something better planned for you. And that's the kind of stuff that drew, drew me to her. Um, the positive, you know, just beautiful speaking and, and just encouragement and hope from her. Um, so anyway, after, after I was devastated for the first two-week relationship, I, um, I started working the steps. And, you know, um, she, she had me write out, you know, how my life's unmanageable and, you know, um, list the attributes I would think a, a God should have, my God would have. Um, we ended up doing the third step. Um, sorry, on time. Um, fourth step. Good news. I actually did the appropriate fourth step, and I wrote. Um, you know, I continued on and wrote all the pages um, that I'm supposed to. You know, um, where was I at fault? That was the main point for me with the fourth step. You know, what's my part? Um, I know I'm blaming all you people and playing the victim, but what I need to do is put the finger back on me and figure out why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and what I did to get into this mess. And um, that's the greatest thing I've learned from the fourth and fifth step, what my part is in any situation. Um, And um, anyway, I did a fifth step with her. It was really great because she said, okay, um, do you have like a bunch of those? Let's just couple those together and move on to the next person, you know, because I would list all the girls from high school, you know. This one told me I was fat. (laughs) Um, But it it, it was thorough, you know, you can't get me for that. But um, so I went on to do six and seven, which I later found out is actually something you continue to do. You know, I was really excited because you just read through it real quick. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, I turned my life and my will over. Well, let's go. I don't want these character defects. Take them, God. You know, and then we move on to eight and nine. And actually, a year or two later, I found out that there's a lot more work to it than that. Um, but again, you know, that that's what I found out later. But um, and then eight and nine, um, I can't emphasize enough how important a sponsor is in my recovery. Um, granted, I don't call her all the time, but as far as working the steps is concerned, um, specifically for eight and nine with me, um, let me give you an example. My stepfather um, was on my resentment list, but according to my sponsor, I also needed to make an amends to him. Um, he was alcoholic. He and my mother and my father have since recovered from alcoholism, which is a miracle. Um, but at the time, um, I didn't want to make amends to him. 
And I felt, you know, he was verbally abusive. He was really mean. Um, he, you know, he was a jerk, and I don't want to deal with him. I'm not going to make amends to him. And she said, okay, you know, maybe you don't have to talk to him. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try sending him a Father's Day card? Why don't you, why don't you just try doing that? And I said, oh, you know, oh, I can do, I can do that. You don't have to talk to him. He, he won't know I'm making amends to him. He's an, he's an, he's an AA at this point. And, um, <laughs> And so I sent a Father's Day card to him, and, and that opens up a door, you know, for him. The ice is kind of melting. And um, a year or so later, um, he actually, I'm, I'm waiting because he's in AA. I'm like, dude, you've been in AA longer than me. Where's my amends, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just didn't understand. I was like, what, what am I coming to you for, you know? But it, actually, a year or two after that, he actually did come up to me, and uh, he, he made amends to me, and I was able to give five minutes. I was able to give um, my amends to him verbally, face-to-face, as it suggests in the big book, which was wonderful. Um, He actually ended up dying of cancer this last year, two years ago. Um, And because of Alcoholics Anonymous, because of a higher power, I was able to be there for my family, the same family that I ran away from and I hated and I cussed at, is the appropriate southern term, cussed, um, I cussed at, you know, and the same family that I, I actually got into physical fights with, um, the, the same family that I despised growing up, I was able to support and be loving and, and give to them what they needed, um, which was, was love and support um, in their time of need. Um, so, so it's a real miracle, um, you know, and, and I continue to work the rest of the steps. Let me just tell you, since I've got like three minutes, um, what I do every day to stay sober, um, because I feel real important. And I don't, I didn't like come to AA and all of a sudden start doing these things. These are things that evolved over time through pain, usually boyfriends. Um, you know, I, what I do in the morning is I get up and I get in the shower and I get on my knees and I start praying. Um, because, you know, I have to shower every morning, I have to pray every morning. So I just kind of put them together. Um, <clears throat> you know, just to get myself to remind, you know, because I can't, let me tell you, when I was first getting sober and I would leave the house without praying, I would be swearing at people on the road, you know, driving aggressively, angry. And I noticed that when I would pray, I didn't do those things. I actually was a lot more chilled out, you know. So I start praying when I, when, in the morning when I get up. And how I pray is I do in Our Father and I do some other stuff. But somebody suggested to me early on to thank God for things as if you already have them. So I thank God for getting me to eat right and to take care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and a lot of other things, getting me to go to meetings, getting me to be of maximum service to him and my fellows. You know, you name it, I say it, because I need help. Every day I wake up a total alcoholic um, that that is the same, not the same person, but I have the same negativity, the same illness um, that I had five years ago when I first came in here, to a lesser degree, but it's still there. And every day I have to take these steps to get it to calm down and to get out of my head and to get God to take over and to give me some peace. Um, so then I go and I eat breakfast, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, very important. Another thing that I eventually learned how to do, um, eat three meals a day, get enough sleep, talk to other alcoholics, um, try to hold your tongue and not get angry. And when you are angered, Kristen, to <laughs> recognize what you're feeling and what the fear is, because it's all about fear with me. It's all about fear, afraid of losing what I have or not getting what I want, bottom line. 
So then I'll do my readings. Um, I do an Emmett Fox. I know this is AA, but I do an Emmett Fox. I do, uh, you know, the daily reflections, a couple other things. I don't comprehend it. I just get it in there because that's what someone suggested to me. You don't have to, like, think about it and meditate on it. Just get it in there. So that's what I do. I go to work. I have to pray to go to work because I don't want to get out of bed. First of all, it's a way back. Um, and then I eat lunch, and then I come home, and I exercise because exercise is a great way to get all that stress out. Um, and then I eat dinner and I go to a meeting and I close the night with prayer. That's how I stay sober. Um, throw in a call or two to an alcoholic and that's my day. It works for me. I didn't come here and all of a sudden start doing that. It's something I developed over time. Um, and it works for me, you know. Give it a shot. Um, today my life is totally blessed. I, I have a wonderful life, a wonderful job, a wonderful place to live wonderful friends and family that actually love me, don't lock up their purses when I come over and want to speak with me when I call, um, which is a miracle. And and the best part of, of it all is that I have the most wonderful relationship with a higher power that I never believed in and never wanted to. And I depend on that higher power for everything, everything. You name it, that's what I, I, I ask my higher power to help me with um, because I can't do anything alone. And not to mention that, but the other most wonderful thing that I have today is peace of mind and self-love and self-respect. When I came in here, I had none of that. I had no self-esteem. I had no self-confidence. I definitely couldn't speak in front of all of you um, because I was just a shamble of a person. But today, um, I, because of the grace of God, nothing that I have done, um, I'm able to walk with confidence and grace and integrity. And it's all because of AA, you guys and a higher power, and I thank you so much for a wonderful evening.